You're listening to the Refuge Church School of Ministry podcast. When we get into theology, this is not even necessarily theology 101. That's kind of like a deeper version of this. This is an intro into doctrine, right? Um, but uh, there's volumes of soteriology, which is you know the study of salvation, right? And so um, this is just good stuff. Is all I want to tell you guys: salvation. And so let's just touch on some of those things today. So that is chapter 5, I believe. Chapter 5. Uh, we, remember how I told you in the beginning we were going to go do the ordinances first? Because my hope was to have a little bit more time to hit the salvation part. But it's okay. It's all good. We'll, we'll figure this out. Page uh, 72, chapter 5, Salvation of Humankind. Can we go ahead, um, Enrique, will you help me out? Uh, go ahead and hand out some worksheets. I know I'm more of a lecture type teacher. Yeah, one person. Y'all have seen the differences, right, in all, in all three of our teaching styles, uh, between me and my wife and my mom. I'm more of a lecturer, right? Um, yeah, more. My mom is more of a, hey, sit down and interact together in groups. Mm-hmm. And I feel like my wife's a blend, <laughs> right? She's like somewhere right in between. So, um, But hopefully, you know, that, that's also helping you guys too. Because if you had three lectures, it might be difficult. If you had three interactive people, you may not, you know, get everything and all that good stuff. today. I will say just a couple more things. Those that have purchased this book or have it, the uh, obviously this older version, who has the new version with you? Vanessa, do you have it with you? Just to kind of show everybody. If you can, again, I know we're all busy, we're trying to read and catch up. Everybody look towards Vanessa real quick. Um, Guys, I'm only going to touch some stuff, but if you want a better understanding or go a little deeper than what I'm going to touch on today, Read it in this book. Uh, there's some other stuff. Like, it also addresses the concept of adoption. That's not in your textbook. Um, so it just, it, it'll give you a little bit more uh, substance there if you go to it as well. Thank you. All right, let's start. Salvation was envisioned by the Father, paid for by the Son, and bought or brought to us by the Spirit. Humankind has no part in planning or purchasing salvation. Our part is to accept salvation as a gift from God, okay? If you're going to understand anything about the gospel message, is that we do nothing in order to obtain it. We do nothing as far as on our part to deserve salvation. It's a gift, and you will receive it, right? That's as simple as it gets. Now, without getting ahead of myself too, you know, then some may think, well, what about the works? Well, it doesn't mean I have to pray. Don't I have to read my Bible? Don't I mean, the, why do people say that so much? All those are things, are works that the Bible talks about that should be an overflow from a life that we know under, of gratitude. We were given a gift that we can never repay. 
So out of that overflow, I'm going to work, I'm going to serve, I'm going to, but not in order to obtain salvation or not in order to make salvation complete. If I never tie, and, and I, I have to be careful as a pastor in saying this because some of you are going to start thinking, oh, he said I didn't have to tie. If I never, never tie, I would still be saved if I, by grace, through faith, believed in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, right? It wasn't me tithing that saved me, right? I tithe because I accept the gift and I'm so excited for I was given something that I didn't deserve, right? I come faithfully to church. I serve a church out of an overflow of the gratefulness of a gift that was given to me, right? But works don't save only Jesus and His work is what saves, right? I just wanted to set that as a, as a good time foundation. All right, keep going. Jesus came, Jesus came to save humankind from sin. The Old Testament reveals that God is the Savior of His people. David sang of the Lord. He is now, why is this important? He's, gonna, he's about to give a few Old Testament references. The point of us understanding here is that it was already said in the Old Testament of who and what Jesus would do uh, in the New Testament, right? So we're finding references in the Old Testament talking about who Jesus was. So He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my Savior. 2 Samuel 22, 3. Isaiah promised he will come to save you. Isaiah 35, 4, right? These are Old Testament references. Then you will know that I, the Lord, am your what? Your Savior. So this concept of Savior, even though you don't find necessarily Christ in the flesh in the Old Testament, but you find that there's already prophetic scriptures declaring that he would come to the earth to what? To save. To save us from our sins. When God's people called on him, he was always there. He saved them from their enemies and from their own disasters. Although he sometimes used people like Joseph, Moses, David as a tool for salvation, God was always the Savior at work behind the scenes. In spite of this, I know I'm reading fast, sorry. In spite of this, the Israelites' sin problem was still present, yet God had a plan that one day, here's another Old Testament reference, Ezekiel 36, 29, I will save you from all of your uncleanliness. So we find already from the very beginning, Jesus would be prophesied that that's what he would come to do. That is found even in your quiz towards the end of the chapter. I believe it's number number one. What is the primary reason Jesus came to this world and died on the cross? To relate to humankind, to save people from their sin, to show people how to be holy, to destroy Satan. Which one is it? B. To save people from their sin. Key word in that question is primary reason, right? Not that he didn't do some of those ones, but his primary reason was to save people from their sin. God promised salvation through a person. How would we be saved, right? Through a person. The Redeemer would come to those who repent of their sins. He would be born of a virgin called Emmanuel, God with us. Thus, the Redeemer would be God Himself. His first place would be Jerusalem. He would bring salvation to the ends of the earth, right? So, sorry, I'm just kind of now reading. And I think most of you probably have already read uh, this chapter. So, um, just kind of setting the base there. Let's jump over to salvation requires payment uh, for sin. This is where we start kind of understanding a little bit the Old Testament principles as well. So, one is set there. Main thing for us to understand in salvation. Why do we use this word a lot in Christianity, in churches? Uh, saved. Saved from what? We were saved from sin, right? Saved from sin. So, we're just setting that up. That's what Jesus came to do, right? So, we got that as a premise. We got that as a base. Now... Um, let's discuss how the Bible teaches us that salvation 
require, if we were saved from sin, there's a payment for sin, right? And that's where Jesus comes in. So skipping the first paragraph, let's go to the last one of the page, page 73. In the Old Testament, God accepted the sacrifice of an animal as a substitute for payment for a person's sin. An innocent animal died in the sinner's place so that the sinner could be saved from the penalty of his or her sin. Okay, so you can read a lot of, uh, a lot of it here. I'm going to kind of maybe paraphrase this. So obviously in the law, first five books of the Bible, we find a lot of rituals, find a lot of sacrifices. These were set up. Um, so obviously in the Old Testament times and more specifically in the first five books, the Torah, the law, there was a lot of animals that died. <laughs> a lot of animals that were killed because that was the ritual that was asked by God, right? Because, and then other things that you guys know, I'm going quickly through this, they had to be uh, spotless animals without blemish, right? They, it was, again, here we go, that, here comes this word again, it was the symbol. And I know my wife's been addressing this with you guys in the Old Testament, so I don't have to say this too much, but the, but the exciting thing is that what you're going to see as we move forward is that that was called. So God would look to the people in the Old Testament, which brings up a good question. So if Jesus wasn't around in the Old Testament, the people of the Old Testament, are they saved? Or will they be in heaven? Yes. yes. Okay, explain to me why. How? Jesus went into hell. He went into hell to get the ones that were Okay, so where, first of all, I would say, where do you find that in Scripture? It's in the, uh, it's in the New Testament. It's, it's okay. in the New Testament. And does it specify, specify the Old Testament people? I think it, yes, it does. So it's just a food for thought. I mean, I'm not trying to make you feel bad either. I'm just challenging you on a little bit. In the sense of, so what about the people in the Old Testament? Are they saved? Are they, will they be with the Lord? If Jesus wasn't around then, are they saved? And the neighbors of Lebanese, y'all, by faith, okay. they are saved. And also... So he's saying in Hebrews 11, or in Hebrews it talks about, and, and the good thing, Hebrews is a good book even to make that reference because it talks a lot about rituals and a lot about the connection to the Old Testament uh, sacrifices. So that's good, but what else? But yeah, we, our dear wife has been teaching us. We see all these people, by all these circumstances, by faith, they were found, they were found favor with the Lord. Amen, that's good. And if you obey, if obedience, if you obey His ways, you will be righteous until your lives. That's, that's why, good. That's what we're about righteous because we're watching the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, so, anybody else want to add? James? Uh, to those who believed in the sacrifice they were doing, they were believing in Jesus, the Messiah, coming later on. Uh -huh. yeah. Good, that's good, good. Crystal, what else were you going to say? Well, I was just going to go hand in hand. Like, in the Old Testament, the more so they were following, being obedient to the law, and what God had commanded them to do in the good sacrifice stuff. they had to do. So by their obedience, it was by their faith they yeah. believed. And you guys are so smart people. That's all I can. That's all I can say. So I think we have the best students in you. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to get ahead of myself really quick with this, but we'll, we'll touch on this. But uh, let me just say, when we deal with this concept, guys, of salvation, uh, the, the cross, right? The, the cross is at the heart. The heart of it, again. Everything I'm going to say is at the heart of everything we do. So the OT, right? We're going to call these guys the OG gangsters now. The OT, right? Old, Old Testament. And then. Uh, Obviously, we get into the New Testament here. But I say that the cross really is at the heart of everything we do because, as you guys are saying, the Old Testament people had to look towards the cross. The New Testament people, which again, we can you know say, maybe not literally again during when the books were written, but we are new because after the cross, so we look back, we have to look back at the cross as the center of everything we do, right? So going back to 
what you guys are saying. There was a belief in obedience. There was a belief in faith and sacrifices. Now, they may not have fully known, right, that sacrifice was representing Christ, but I think Crystal said this. In that sacrifice, they knew that in obeying and believing in what God had asked, in obeying that, there was, if God asked me to sacrifice, and in believing there's a reason behind that. Now, maybe were they fully recognizing that an ultimate sacrifice would come one day? Maybe that's one on this side, right? That they would fully understand that. But they had to look in faith that there was a sacrifice that would it'd be once and for all. Now, why am I saying that? Because as you look and you understand the salvation plan, the exciting thing is when you talk about the sacrifices and the many animals that were killed or died, there's something, and I'm, I'm almost positive, my wife's already addressed this or used this word, but you have something called, the, the, um, the chapter talks about this as well, atonement, right? Yep, yep, yep. That's mainly the concept we find in Old Testament, right, is atonement. Now, what's the difference, well, yeah, what does atonement mean? If you read your chapter, you kind of know if, uh, there too, where, let me see, I'll jump over, what page is it? 74. 74. Uh, okay, very good. So, I don't. I, uh, so, seventy four. I, be, I believe I trust you. Oh yeah, there it is. Sorry, atonement comes from the Hebrew word kapur, right? Kapur. That's the Hebrew word. Um, so, you yeah, know the Jewish they they Yom celebrate Kippur. something called Yom Kippur, right? Yeah, so, okay, that's where it comes. It goes back to that as well. So, what atonement means is, as we just wrote, right? You see it there. It's a covering. So what I want to establish and help us understand is that in the Old Testament, any sacrifice that was done was done in obedience and was done in faith. But all it ever did, this is the key to understand, all it ever did was cover. Just cover the sin. Here's here with this guy, the main man, right? Now New Testament looking back, it's not a covering, it's a forgiving, right? It's a taking. It's a taking away. See, there's a big difference now. This was only okay. It'll it'll get me by in my obedience and my faith in those sacrifices and knowing the priest and the high priest, knowing what it would bring. There was a faith that again, God honoring that faith. Yes. So answering that question, these Old Testament people, if they were obedient in faith to this system. They are going to be in heaven, or they're in heaven now, right? Or waiting on, right? Uh, kind of thing. But here, <laughs> they're chilling. Yes. Um, but all this was always just a covering, because those animals were never the perfect and ultimate sacrifice, right? Why? Because we go back to what this book is saying, or the text is saying, is that sin, there had to be a payment for sin. Why? Because God is holy, God is just, Amen. right? So there was no way to come into communion and a relationship with humanity without a price being paid. And so from the very get-go, God knew, and we're going to about to get into this you know, towards the end of the chapter, but God knew that Adam and Eve would mess up, and so already he initiated his plan. There was a plan already initiated to bring us back into relationship with him. Rituals were part of the Old Testament, but the heart has always been relationship, right? And that's where, I would say, as a side note, side commercial, that's why we always have to be careful. Us Christians under the New Testament, we're tempted to kind of act like Old Testament Christians. Come on, somebody. Uh, not Christians, but, but Old Testament believers, because we want to make it about the rituals, and we've got to be careful. Now, we're not, 
technically for us, we're no longer killing animals, but we are holding on to some, like I have to do it this way, I have to do it that way, I have to dress this way, I have to, and don't get me wrong, there's, there's standards that God asks of us, but yeah. we got to be careful that we make it more about the rituals and less about the relationship. Oh. That's the blessing we have, guys. They had to make it about the rituals to believe that one day they would be. We don't have to make it so much about the rituals. We make it more about the relationship, yeah. and the rituals come because of the relationship yeah. I have with Christ, right? right? Yeah. The obedience comes because yeah. I have a relationship yeah. with Jesus, right? All right, I'm, I'm kind of getting excited. It's, it's not preaching right now. But the whole point to understand is that it's covering versus forgiving. It's covering versus taking away. Because there was or is a penalty uh, for sin, but Jesus forgave us. Let's keep reading. Page 74. The death of Jesus alone pays the price of sin. Let's read a couple of chapters there, or paragraphs, sorry. The key truth we must remember from this chapter is that salvation is through Christ alone. Everybody say Christ alone. Christ alone. Speaking to the Sanhedrin under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Peter proclaimed salvation is found in no one else, but there is no other name under heaven given to men and which man could be saved. The writer of Hebrews wrote, Is it possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin? That's the point I was making again. The Old Testament animal sacrifices did not really provide forgiveness for sin, in that the animals were not valuable enough to replace a man or a woman. Rather, they symbolized Jesus' future death. Those of the Old Testament were forgiven based on the blood Jesus would later shed. Only the blood of Jesus was valuable enough to replace both the Old and the New Covenant Saints, hallelujah, gloria Dios. Skip one quick paragraph, go to the next one where it says, And when Jesus became a man, when Jesus became a man, he became one with us in every way except that he had no sin. Because he became a man, he could die for the sins of humankind. With Isaiah, we can say he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and his and his wound, excuse me, and by his wounds Amen. we are healed. I love the example, if you read it, you already know what I'm about to say. Uh, when we're struck by a snake bite, typically to save us, there's an anti-venom. And in order to develop that anti-venom, usually you gotta take the blood of animals, right? Take the, to develop the antibodies. Basically, that's what Jesus did for us, right? It's his blood. He developed those antibodies for us against sin, right? So that when we were struck by sin, and, and dying, he is, praise the Lord. You know, I know we have the coronavirus vaccine, but forget that. Jesus is the main vaccine that we all need for us today, right? Hallelujah. Let's go, let's go. All right. Hercules, Hercules. We're finishing up, right? I got excited for brother. Last paragraph there. In the same way, Jesus provided the only acceptable sacrifice. That's the point, guys. Many sacrifices were given, many sacrifices were made in the only Old Testament, one. but there was only one acceptable one. It was only good, he had to be man, right? That's one. In his humanity, he could he could be there in as our representation. As God, right? So we talked about that when we talked about the deity of Jesus. 100% man, 100% God. He had to be human. We needed a human to be that sacrifice. But in God, that he was not a man that did not sin, he could take away the sins of the world. That was that perfect union. Nobody would, we were never going to find that ever in a human. We would never find that in an animal. The only one that was perfect in his sacrifice and perfect in his uh, qualities and who he was 
was Jesus Christ. That's why he hit his only salvation is only in Christ and Christ alone. In this way, Jesus provided the only acceptable sacrifice, the popular mistaken belief that Christianity is not just one of many ways, and I want to talk about this for a little bit, to God does not recognize the sin problem common to humanity. There can be no salvation if sin is not taken away. And there is no solution to sin other than the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I just said this a little bit, but here we go. Uh, underline, put a star, whatever. This sentence right here. Because Jesus is God, He is perfect and can pay the penalty for another. But because Jesus is human, He can be the substitute for mankind. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the world. 1 John chapter 2. Okay, so let me talk just really quickly, because there are some concepts we still have to get to. But don't, I don't know, I'm assuming you've probably already run into this. This assumption that Christians are <coughs> prideful, Christians are selective, uh, Christians are exclusive, right? Well, if God is such a loving God, why is Jesus the only way, right? Um, there's, you know, other religions. Why would you guys assume to be the only one? What about Islam? What about Buddhism? You know, all these other things. So, listen, here's the point I want to make. It's not a claim that I'm making, okay? And it's not a claim you're making. The Bible says that it's only through Jesus, right? I am the way. There's plenty of scriptures to give you. I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? There's only one way. And so it's not us saying exclusive, but it is, in a sense, to say there's only one anti-venom, right? That's not me being... You know, what I hate you and I hate what you stand for, it's the fact that like, there's only one pill. There's only one way for that. And we have to acknowledge that it's not us. And that's what, you know, and I, I don't have time to get into this, but I think that's where sometimes we Christians, we need to be careful because we know we do hold the truth, but sometimes how we go about presenting it and sharing it with others, we need help. Let me just say that. Sometimes we need help. I feel like, man, we can come really condemning it because like, well, I got the answer, so they, they need to know better. They need to take it, right? Um, and think about it. So that's how we are sometimes with our families, with our kids, let's be honest, right? Uh, we know that this medicine can help, and they don't want to take it. We as parents, don't we get kind of aggressive? Take it! This is going to help you. you know? And I feel like sometimes that's how we are as Christians, right? We're like, you don't get it! Ah, oh, don't, though, right? Or whatever. And we start almost getting offensive. And, but listen, if you know you have it, it shouldn't offend you. If you know you have the answer, this shouldn't bother you. If, if they reject you or talk bad about you, you know, again, what we talked about a couple weeks ago, just know that you have the answer. Just keep offering it to them. Let them know. You want a cure? You want a cure? Here it is. Yeah. But understand, though, from a, let's just say, different religions, there, it's not, we'll all end up, you know, all, what's the, all religions end up in God or something like that. Like it, that's, this is not true, right? It's not you being exclusive or selective. It's you saying, I believe that this is the truth. And, and we gotta be careful there, right? Because I feel like even us sometimes too as Christians, um, we say, or at least I've heard some that, you know, and especially with new converts, it's like, well, no, I just, I respect all religions, right? There's a difference between ex respecting and accepting, right? We can respect that there's different views out there, but don't accept it as truth, and that's, that's Again, that can probably be a whole nother class in itself, which I don't think, I don't know if it's even one of the requirements. I'd love to teach apologetics one day where we talk about the different religions and kind of stand and kind of know where they stand and 
how we stand in comparison, but ultimately you get what I'm saying with that, right? That we have to come and understand that there is only one way, and it's not us being ugly towards others, it's just understanding there's, again, the best analogy I can use is there's only one pill, there's only one antidote. Anybody want to chime in a little bit on this, on that part? Or let me ask it this way, a little bit from more practical nature. How many have ever been confronted with that thought, with that concept? Somebody saying yes, but yes. elaborate. Uh, Go ahead, Isabel. Or, or no, I mean, I don't know if y'all want to share, but yes, I'd like to hear something. I have, uh, I had a coworker. Um, he was always trying to tell me that I was wrong, and the way that, uh, like, he would have uh, always something to say about the Bible was uh, written by uh, men. So why did he have to believe in it? Um, and like every day, he, he was a co-worker, like, like he, he made it his mission every day to trust me. <laughs> but uh, like Pastor said, like I, I learned throughout the years that uh, there's some people that are hungry for something, you know, and, they, and they're, they're going to uh, they're gonna get it out of you. You know, sometimes you're going to share with them the power of God, the love of God, the hope that we have in Jesus and all that. But there's some people that just want to argue. They just want to uh, come, come at you, right? So he was one of them, and I would just pray, and ask, I would just uh, ask God to just, I would just want to show myself, like, make yourself in me, right? Show him grace and mercy and all that stuff. But, yeah, it, it was uh, it was tough. And I would even say, guys, and I don't know, uh, you know, maybe I'm going to kind of date myself here, right? But, like, it, it didn't used to be like this, right? At least in our generation and here in the States. Uh, there was a certain sense of faith and respect and honor that we used to kind of in general. Even if you weren't a Christian, they kind of just respected it. But now, honestly, we live in a day and age where everything's questioned. I mean, everything, right? They're constantly going to push you. And, uh, and so, you know, it's just, it's just a reality of, you know, the, uh, just the change of culture, you know, without getting into all these other details, but the change of culture. So I just say that for two sides. One, we just need to be more prepared doctrinally, us individually, uh, and then also in trying to share it because people are, a lot of times they don't even know what they believe. They just know they want to be against you, right? Uh -huh. They just know they, uh, yeah. So go ahead, James. Okay, so early on in my faith, when I first became a believer, uh, I was attacked by a lot of people, uh, and they were telling me, why do you believe this, why do you believe that, this and that, but, and I didn't have a lot of answers to their questions, because I, I myself was young, I didn't know really a lot, so, but I was obedient to what God was saying, he was just saying, hey, love them, just be cool with them, share with them, be kind to them, and that's what grabbed their attention was the love of Christ, yes. so a lot of those people were like, well, what do you have? Because I see you every day smiling. You're a place of sorrow and darkness. Why are you like this? Yes. But that's what that's what's really the attraction. Yeah. Love yeah. Christ. Love. I love it. Love. And, and that's such a good point that let me reiterate too, or let me say, uh, going along with what James is mentioning, is that, listen guys, I'm not expecting you to, because I would say even for me, man, sometimes I hear some of these theologians, I'm like, man, how do they know so much? And, you know, you know, I, I feel like so puny when I hear some of them sometimes, right? But, so the challenge is to keep learning and get as much doctrine, and get as much base as possible. 
But you know, honestly, we're never gonna have the, the get to this place where it's like, you know, we we have all 66 books memorized and all those things. Uh, so many times, especially if you're young in in the gospel, or again, you're like first semester in Bible school, right? I mean, you're not gonna have all the answers. But I think it's best to try to get as many answers as possible and share the ones you have, but then also know that the reality is what's going to speak to them is the truth that you have learned and accepted. How are you living those truths, right? Because how many of you also run into Christian scholars that, man, can quote scriptures like this and even know some doctrinal points, but the way they live, you don't want to look anything like the way they treat people, right? So again, it is, it's key what, what James is saying is that I challenge us to keep learning, have some doctrinal base, to be able to share with people, but it always has to come, right? The Bible says in, in Ephesians, speak the truth in love. Yeah. Those two things have to always go hand in hand, right? Sometimes there's people speaking in love, but not much truth, right? And there's people speaking truth, but there's no love behind it, right? I don't know. Uh, I know Marco. Did you have your hand raised to it? Yeah. No, yeah. I know sometimes, uh, you know, having, uh, you know, difficult people to work with, yeah. And I'm speaking not with church now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? I mean, you work at church. Oh, wow. I'm trying to walk But I remember a time where uh, I actually worked with, uh, with the homosexual. And, uh, you know, there was a, we, had, we were a small team, small group. Uh, but there was curiosity from, from him to what we do. And just to say ditto with, uh, with Brother James is saying, it's really just a matter of how we, how we uh, present the gospel to them. And number two also, it really has to do a lot on, on how we see them. Because they already feel in a way that you're kind of already shaming them because yeah. of what your beliefs are. Yeah. But when you incorporate them in prayer, when you let them know, hey, I, I am praying for you, there is a, there is a curiosity on their end. That uh, can only you know, come from the Lord, yeah. and I still remember. Well, I, I recall now because years passed, and this gentleman wasn't doing too well. He was actually pretty sick, and he ran into one of my uh, one of my friends, uh, and he he mentioned, you know, I miss the times that we would pray at our church at, wow. at our job. And he goes, I knew there was always something there. Now I don't know if he was ever saved, but we made such an impact in his life that he still recalls that and he remember that there was something there that was always and that's it, that's it. And, and what makes it so challenging a lot of times, right, is people in general, they already have their attack points, right? Yeah. So they're they're versed on what they're telling you. You know, again, it's like, well, why is the Bible this or whatever, right? And and our, we're ex uh, suspected to, or suspected, no, not suspected. We're supposed to be ready, right? Supposed to be with Genesis to Revelation, right? Yeah. But they're, they're the ones, they already got their one argument, and we're supposed to go through our Rolodex in our mind, like, wait, 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 okay, what's the answer to that one thing? But they're already prepared in that. So a lot of times it's difficult, and that's why, again, what these, these guys are saying is, is you've got to come in love. Like, even with homosexuals, a lot of times I feel like, a lot of times their first argument is like, is it true that the Bible says the homosexual are going to hell? Right, that's, whoop, that, yeah. that's the direct thing. From a logical perspective, like, okay, is there truth in, is someone truth in that? Yes. But they're also not recognizing there's a whole lot of lists that say other things that if we keep living that way will also get us to hell. So it's like, are you saying that homosexuals go to hell? No, what we're saying is the Bible says sinners that don't repent go to hell, right? And that's a that's a big category, right? It's not just them alone. Go ahead. I just wanted to add that sometimes our challenges come from ourselves too. You know, our minds and our hearts and our 
uh, whatever we're going through life makes us also doubt what we are, what we believe, yeah. what we already have read or know. And then uh, and, and I'm telling you because I grew up in church all my life and I have had my moments where I think the devil has tricked my mind. I've been sick and uh, I think that's kind of where it comes from. But I can always come back and remind myself and my mind and my, my spirit and everything in me that I have experienced something that is not that I know is not real, you know? And that uh, miracles in my life as well, uh, physical miracles that I know that, and, and, and just to mention some, right, but I think sometimes that challenge comes from ourselves too, so we have to be careful and make sure that we're always able to Yes, amen, because you're right. Sometimes our in our weaknesses, they get the best of us and make us feel like yeah. we're not prepared, but trust the Holy Spirit. All right, guys, let me, let me, we probably won't. Yeah, okay, so let's touch on just some of the, the concepts, the what, what at least the book calls Benefits of Atonement, which is your worksheet uh, right there. I'll try to give at least the basic ones. Uh, so forgiveness of sins, right? That's one of the benefits of what Christ has done for us. He has forgiven us. Uh, and when Christ forgives us, we can forgive others. Um, that one, I think, for the most part, is pretty self-explanatory. We've been forgiven, right? We didn't deserve it, but God gave it to us, right? Regeneration, right? That's the next one, regeneration. Um, so, uh, that one, a lot of times, I think the biggest word there. I'm just going to put R-E-G uh, to kind of help us understand that one is it's a rebirth, right? You're being reborn. And all these are really just different ways of saying salvation. It's the same concept, right? We've been saying, but uh, regeneration, it's a, it's a reference to that we're being reborn, right? Um, then the three points that it talks about real quick right there, page 76. Regeneration is like a second birth. Uh, then the other thing too to uh, understand there is regeneration only comes from the Holy Spirit. You don't re regenerate yourself. You can't reborn yourself, right? Uh, those are scriptures there. Like I told you, there's so many scriptures to highlight in this chapter. Uh, number three, re regeneration brings eternal life, right? Okay, so this kind of gives you more side of the rebirth, reborn thing. Now let's look back at, uh, and I'll go, I'll just put REC, right? Reconciliation. So, again, in itself, the Bible tells us we were far away. We were divided. There was hostility between us. So reconciliation brings, back, brings us back together. So when we say regeneration, that is referring to salvation. It's referring to the reborn, re, uh, rebirth part. Reconciliation is referring to the fact that we were separate and now we're being brought together again. The book even gives a good example of the Berlin Wall, right? And uh, so you, um, those that know your history... Right, dividing Germany, and so it came down, and now that relationship that had been severed, family members that were living on two sides of the wall, the moment the wall came down, whoop, they were able to come back into connection again. So we, I would say, uh, what if I wrote a word down for here. Oh yeah, so in here, reconciliation would be, you know, acknowledge that we were separated, right? And the response, right, salvation is, uh, we were brought together, right? So regeneration, reconciliation, redemption. Can you repeat that sentence again? What you said. 
acknowledge that we were separated? That we were separated, and now when, we, when you talk about reconciliation, we were brought together. Uh, redemption, all these are ours, because you know why, right? Because we're refuge and rescue and restore. Okay, redemption. What does this give us a, a reference? So again, when we talk about regeneration, it's almost again, we were unborn and now we were reborn. Reconciliation, we were separated and brought back together. Redemption means we were enslaved, right? Sin enslaved us. So we can put here enslaved. And when we talk about salvation, what Jesus did, we'll put, we'll put here freedom. Or we can say we were bought. He paid the price for us. Right? So all of these are references to salvation. What they did, just different angles. I guess we can say different perspectives. Right? We can say bought. Um, you know, I think even the book talks about it. Through the blood of Jesus, we have redemption. The word redemption means freedom that is bought through the payment of a ransom. Right? Uh, four points that touches there real quickly. Our redemption price was paid by God. I like what it says. It's important to understand. He says, and I've never heard this, but according to the, the author, he says that there's this thought that we're paying it to Satan. And I like what he says. We're not paying anything to Satan because we've never been indebted to Satan. Right? So what we're paying is a, a payment to, we're like, well, why would God need it? Again, because in his holiness and his justice, somebody had to take it on. Not because God's picking on us. Not, it's just because in his nature, he, didn't, he couldn't come into relationship with sin. Right? So that's where, again, Christ takes the place. Oh, wow. And so here's, again, the other thing is that now, when, and this is what I love, when God looks at me, he doesn't really see me. Now, he does see me, but what he sees is the righteousness, not my righteousness, because I'll never be righteous. What he sees is he sees the righteousness of Jesus that he bestowed upon me because of his sacrifice. That's why now God can look upon me, even though I'm still a sinner, some he's still in process. But he now, because of the sacrifice, he looks at the righteousness of Christ that's upon me. That's why we can now be in relationship, because somebody paid the price for me, right? He took my place, if that helps anybody here today. Number two. Uh, and, and this kind of has its own explanation in itself that I'd love to break down. But yeah, I, I really, I, I really do. I haven't done this, but I really do think I want to do a part two. And that's because I talked for two hours today, right? But man, it's just this salvation one. It's just there's so much to it. But so redemption sets us free from the consequence of sin, right? So we're still talking about redemption, the consequence. Then yet number three says redemption frees us from the power of sin. So there's, there's, again, when we talk about there's all these different angles we can take, there's a difference between the consequence and the power. And yet Jesus freed us from both, right? That's wow. exciting. So if you, you know, read your book to or so, it gave, it gave us a good example, a thief. What if a thief was caught, and, but yet, for whatever reason, on a technicality, he was, he was let go, right? So he was free in that moment, briefly, from the consequence of his, of his decision or of his action, but ultimately because of who he was, if he was addicted to you know, being a thief or addicted to certain things, he's not totally free from the power of what that is, right? He maybe was free from the consequence. So we have to acknowledge what Jesus did. He not only freed us from the consequence of what we deserve, which was death, right? 
eternal death. He freed us from that. But then he also freed us from the power that we don't have to be enslaved to sin while we live here in this earth, right? Um, again, which has so many more implications, right? But, and then fourthly, redemption sets us free from, from an empty life. One of my favorite sayings, right? He, uh, he came to give us life and life, what? In abundance, right? In abundance. He just don't want you just living. He wants you to live to the fullest. And then the last term there, and it's not an R, but the last term is justification. So this gives a, uh, an idea of rebirth. We born, this one's separated, but now we've come together. Redemption is, hey, we were enslaved, but we, there's somebody need to pay a price for us to bring our freedom, to bring us uh, back into a justification. It's more of a court type of term, which you're going to find, right, with the judge and with lawyers. And basically, he justifies us. He declares, you know what, all that he did in the past, don't worry about it. I'll pay it. I've, it's taken care of. Justification is a legal term that declares person's freedom from guilt. Number one, it removes the penalty from sin. And number two, it exchanges our guilt for God's righteousness. Here's the exciting thing, guys. Last sentence of that paragraph. As a result, God has removed our guilt and declared our innocence. Everybody, let's hear, right? We know we're not innocent, right? We're not. And we keep messing up. But yet, our lawyer, right? The judge is saying, but he but he deserves death based on everything he's done, on the basic way he acts, the basic attitude. And you know, I guess I don't know if y'all like courtroom stuff, but I always see it this way and it's excited. It's like, yeah, you're right, it is. And it's not, it is all of a sudden God's not there. It's we acknowledge that's happened. But then Jesus, our lawyer, gets up and says, Okay, yeah, I can't say he did it. But don't worry about it. Everything, take it away, put that on me. And then God says, here's the exciting thing. God says, okay, acquitted. Okay, justified. Because I'm going to put it on you. You you took it out? Okay. And we get to walk without guilt. We get to walk out declared uh, innocent. Jesus is the one that stood and took our place uh, for me and for you. It's exciting. Um, I do remind you guys, okay, remind me next week because next week is a good one because we do start getting into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know there's going to be a lot of questions with that one. Um, but I really would love to finish this part off on the salvation, especially, uh, you know, you guys read it, but obviously how salvation comes through faith. That I think most we know, like, like it's understood as the ABCs, right? Admit your sinner, believe in God, confess your sins, right? Kind of, that's the main concept here, right? The one I would really like to hit is on page 79, um, where, and I'm not going to necessarily hit it right now, but just sweep the top. Um, salvation has an inner and an outward evidence, and then salvation can it be lost, right? That's, um, there's just some good stuff in there, right? Can it be lost? Can I just ask that real quick? Uh, so we didn't, you know, we didn't really go over it per se, go over this, hopefully this helps you guys out as homework and put those terms together. Um, just quick kind of survey. Do y'all believe that we can, and if you're ready, then you kind of already know where we stand, but uh, do you believe we can lose our salvation or we can't? Let's go ahead, Christian. Yeah. So, uh, I'm not really answering. Really answer it until I read it and look into it. Sure, but sure. I was reading this and I'm excited that there is going to be a part of 
part two because yeah. I know that this is a question that can come up a lot. Yes. Especially yeah. as a new believer, when I was a new believer, this is something that came up to came up and I didn't know or understand it, especially being a baby person yeah. and still even now maybe not yeah. understanding. Sure. But one thing that I have heard is can you consider that the person is truly saved? Are they truly okay. saved if they're not really obeying or following Christ? Did they really give their heart to God? Is one of the things that I've heard. So maybe sure. they were never really saved because they're not following Christ. Is one of the theories I've heard. Yeah. So I'm excited. Sure, sure. No, and that's yeah. And, and that's why I feel like I want to touch it, because I'll say this real quickly too, Crystal. One of the earlier when I was pastoring, I had allowed a brother to start um, teaching, good brother I and mean, a good teacher. Uh, but he had a Baptist background, right? And uh, and a lot of the Baptists fall under more of the terminology what we call once saved, always saved, more of a Calvinistic type of view. And uh, without realizing, it kind of went there, right? This, these new convert classes went there. And before I knew it, yeah, there was this debate in this class, and some, you know, Pastor, what about this? And it, it did create a little bit of a division. So I think, again, it's always really important, especially for new converts. Um, and then again, with you guys being uh, in some that we're going to help me teach, you know, other classes one day, and you are going to be our future pastors of our different uh, satellite churches or church plants campuses. and all that good stuff. So campuses, thank you. Um, so it's good that you guys know that, right? So there is there's good sufficient um, substance on both sides, but we'll talk about both sides, but then we'll just talk about where we stand and kind of where we, why, at least why I believe that way. Yeah. But yeah, guys, is my, is my mom here? Keep going. Is my mom here? Is that my mom? No. Okay. Well, I'm like, right now, she's kind of stuck here. I know, right? Today, I'm doing a three-hour thing. Yeah. Um, you got coffee. Yeah. So, uh, hopefully, she's here maybe making coffee. So, go ahead. I am going to say this. I really enjoy this two-hour thing. Yeah, you yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, brother. Oh, that was good. Yeah. It feels like a real session. Like a real, like a real.